Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Rights Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our Education and Events Coordinator, Emily Krall. Emily. Hello. Welcome. Happy Snowy Friday. Happy Snowy Friday. We're in the office. Uh, as soon as we get done, I have to go shovel the driveway. So we'll keep this an extra long episode so I can slack extra hard with the sidewalk maintenance. So we're going to talk about a couple of things today. We're going to do a little recap of our Lansing event, which went off without a hitch, just as I predicted. Um, as <laughs> Way to pat yourself on the back there. Well, I, I must admit I was a little worried. We can get into that in a minute. Um, we're going to talk also about a story of an abortionist who's passed on but left uh, a certain problem for his family to deal with. Uh, but first, we need to talk about what President Joe Biden has done. Already. So uh, last week he did what he promised that he was going to do, and that was repeal the, uh, well, rescind the Mexico City policy. And also he uh, had an order that basically directs the health, the Department of Health and Human Services to get rid of President Trump's uh, protect life rule. So we'll start with the Mexico City policy. Um, so, Emily, you did an article for it on the website. I did. If you want to go through the basics. I did. Uh, the basics. So, the Mexico City policy was first put into place by President Reagan back in 1984. And the reason we have the Mexico City policy is because it patches a glaring loophole in something called the Helms Amendment. Um the Helms Amendment is essentially the the foreign U.S. foreign aid version of the Hyde Amendment. So it says that U.S. federal aid and American tax dollars cannot go to fund abortions overseas. Um, if you can see the glaring loophole in that, it doesn't say anything about funding organizations that provide uh, abortions. It just says it can't provide for the abortion specifically. So organizations that perform international abortions are able to get U.S. federal aid to cover um, other expenses, their lobbying, overhead, things like that, which enables them to use their other sources to pay for abortions. Uh, a lot of the time in areas of the world where the governments and the people don't want abortions. So the Mexico City policy is when Re President Reagan saw that glaring loophole and said, okay, we're not going to enable organizations to provide for abortions um, with our tax money. So the Mexico City policy says enough is enough if an organization provides or promotes for any abortions used as family planning, they do not receive federal tax money. So um, ever since 1984, when he announced it in Mexico City, uh, which is why it's called the Mexico City policy, um, each, each administration along party lines has either upheld or rescinded it. So after President Reagan, um, President George H.W. Bush, Bush Sr., he upheld the policy, and then President Clinton in the 90s got rid of it. Um, then. Uh, the next President Bush reinstated the Mexico City policy, and then President Obama um, got rid of the policy again. P 
President Trump, when he was in office, he upheld, he reinstated the Mexico City policy and strengthened it. So um, basically it put more rules and limits on what exactly type of organizations got to have that aid and they had to meet certain requirements to, to get that aid and prove that they don't provide for abortions. And so last week, um, President Biden, just like he said he was going to, and just like every Democratic president uh, since the policy was enacted, got rid of the Mexico City policy. So um, essentially that means that our tax dollars, um, while they're not able to directly fund abortions overseas, they do fund the organizations that fund abortions overseas. So basically the same thing. And as we'll get into in a second with the Protect Life rule, uh, you know, the intent is always you write these laws uh, and the intent is, okay, we just don't want this money going towards abortion at all. Um, but if you don't write it carefully enough, uh, you know, the abortion industry will find a way around that, you know. Um, they always do that. Uh, I'll use an example uh, from Michigan. You know, we, we wrote a law saying you have to offer women the chance to see an ultrasound. If you perform an ultrasound, when you do the abortion. Well, abortion, uh, some abortion facilities got this bright idea of we'll use our nice, sweet, you know, 3D ultrasound for us. But then if we have to show the woman the baby, we'll wheel in this old, dusty, 80s, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> crappy ultrasound. That looks like... That looks really grainy, and that's what we'll use to show the woman. Because we don't want her actually understanding what's inside of her. Mm -hmm. We just want her to do that. So, you know, the Helms Amendment was always written with the intent that we're just not going to be sending aid dollars to use abortion. But International Planned Parenthood Federation and... Marie Stopes International, which, what's their name now? Another MSI Reproductive International or something like that. They changed their name, got rid of the Marie Stopes because she was a racist. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, today, Planned Parenthood <laughs> in Michigan was uh, talking uh, about how bad forced sterilization is. And I just was thinking to myself, you know, gee, you actually helped forced sterilization happen in Puerto Rico in living memory, maybe you y'all want to sit this one out, or maybe instead of talking about how bad forced sterilization is in this case, maybe like kind of acknowledge that, oh, by the way, you know, we forcibly sterilized, you know, many Puerto Rican They're women. not known for being self-aware. Amongst other countries, yeah. Self-awareness, not, not a strong point for them. You know, with the USAID money, and, and this was critical in why Trump uh, was such an important pro-life president, was he didn't just you know, reinstate this 1984 policy. Well, I mean, they did that originally, uh, very quickly, once he got elected, but his administration went through and looked at, well, how is this being applied? What funding streams uh, is this applying to? Where are these organizations worming their way in? Because that's what they always do. They're so good at finding new ways to get your tax dollars. Um, and he improved it. And it didn't get a ton of attention, but... Now it's gone for at least four years. Uh, you know, Joe Biden, who, you know, ran on, I'm a moderate guy and, you know, unity this and unity that and everyone should agree and we don't want to be extreme like that crazy President Trump. And, you know, he's just, there's going to be absolutely zero difference from him and a, a President Barack Obama, who will always go to Matt for the abortion industry no matter what. So... As we kind of mentioned, the Protect Life rule was another part of his executive order. Basically, uh, 
they have to go through a specific process to get rid of it so it's not gone today, but it's going to be gone. Um, and the protect life rule is the exact same thing as the Mexico City policy, but instead of covering foreign aid money going overseas, that covers the Title X family, plan, uh, family Planning Program, which when it was written specifically said you can't use this money to pay for abortions, but Planned Parenthood says, well, give us the money anyway and we'll just pretend that you know this clinic room that the Title X money is paying for and the staff this Title X paying for, when they're doing abortions there, oh, well, that's, they're not using the Title X money for that. When they're doing other services in those rooms with those staff, that's when it's the Title X family planning money. So creative, not even creative accounting, just like, oh, it's totally different. Yeah. You know, um, I, it, it, I've tried to use analogies for that. You know, uh, it, you know, if you have, your kid comes to you and says, I want to buy an Xbox, and you give them, here's $300, uh, that you can spend on lunch money for the next really nice lunches for the next one or two years. Do you think your kid is going to A, buy an extra chocolate muffin or slice of pizza in their lunch money? Or are they going to go buy the Xbox? They're going to go buy the Xbox. I would have bought the Xbox. So. And when you gave them that money, <laughs> you bought the Xbox. You didn't buy them the, uh, the extra, extra big lunches that you told them. That's what you really wanted them to... You do with that money. Once you give person a, a dollar, a dollar is a dollar in the budget. Um, so uh, we'll have to say goodbye to that one too. Uh, it had been challenged in court, even though the Supreme Court had upheld it. it you know, back from, again, the Reagan administration came up with this rule. Uh, the Supreme Court said it's fine. And they still sued anyway for this very reason. It was just a delaying game and a stalling tactic as much as they tried um, up until last year. And then uh, Planned Parenthood did lose money from it, uh, either one or two years of their uh, budget funding. It was $60 million, which that's a lot of money, A. It is. But B, you know, they get uh, hundreds of millions through Medicaid and other funding streams and... You know, every year their budget is usually at least, you know, 50 to $100 million of profit. So the last year, the annual report, it was $110 million. The year before that, it was a quarter of a billion dollars in profit. And so it's not really hurting them. It's good that your money wasn't going to them. It's bad that your money will be going to them. Uh, it's not going to drastically change Planned Parenthood's business model. Now... The Hyde Amendment goes, then that's a drastic change because that's hundreds of thousands of abortions that they're doing paid for directly by you. So obviously a Hyde Amendment is not uh, by executive order. It's not an administrative rule. It's an actual uh, you know, budget uh, rider, if you want to call it budget rider provision, uh, applied every year to the budget. So... But that's something Congress votes on, and that's where we're going to need you to get involved. If you go to our website, rtl.org, um, right on the homepage, there's a slider with big images. The first one you should see is about contacting your legislators about the Hyde Amendment. I encourage you to go do that. Um, you know, uh, Joe Biden won, and so he's going to do a lot of executive orders. But uh, as far as pro-life laws, we need you to protect those, and your voice is going to be critical. Because uh, just in the last couple of days, we've had letters come that say 200 Republicans in the House and 48 Republicans in the Senate are going to defend the Hyde Amendment. That's great. Mm -hmm. All of our Republican Michigan uh, delegation said that they were going to defend it. 
Uh, but those aren't majorities. No. So we need to peel off a few Democrats. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Lansing March. Go from a bad note to a, a good note. Uh, so you were there, Emily. I was there, although yes. I, I spent most of the event um, fending off spam comments and phishing links on our uh, live event and the uh, the Facebook event, so that was no fun. So I assume the event was great. It was wonderful. <laughs> the live stream was good. It was, you know... The Russians stayed out of the live stream after lots of work keeping them out. Yeah, yeah, those Russians <laughs> and their collusion, you know. They were... They were <laughs> They were fortifying our event, Emily. Mm, that's they what it was. They weren't hacking our event. They were fortifying our event. Um, so what do you think? What did you think of it? I thought it was really a good event. Um, it was a very refreshing change to be able to be out in, in a group of pro-life people who were all there for the same reason, and it's that we want to protect the unborn Um it, it's really encouraging to go to um, pro-life events and pro-life marches because it is, it's a family event. Um, you don't have the, the crazies um, shirtless on street corners like you have with some other marches. <laughs> um, so, like, there's, especially this time, it was beautiful weather. Um, the sun came out and the wind died down for a little bit. So there were kids making snow angels in the snow while we were talking about protecting their futures and the future of the children coming after them. There was a really cute husky there. So I'm a dog person, so I noticed <laughs> that. Um, and it was it was a wonderful event just to be out with pro-life people and, and say, hey, we believe so much in caring for the unborn that we're, we're willing to stand out and the freezing temperatures in Michigan in January to to just stick with it and say we're not going away. Weather's not going to turn us away. A virus isn't going to turn us away. Um, hostile, hostile social media and work environments and a lot of times family aren't going to turn us away. We're going to stand for life, and it was it was great to be out there to do that. It was. It was a nice day, you know, you know, again, a marked contrast, no one walking around with black masks and batons and bags of urine. No uh, fire. No one with buffalo hats <laughs> and no fires, no bricks, no uh, screaming, no tear gas. There wasn't even any throwing of snowballs. No, there wasn't. Um, and there was ample opportunity for that. Mm -hmm. It was good packing snow. It, yeah, I was so I was a little nervous that not that our people would uh, do anything crazy because I we, like I said we said in the podcast you know our people are not crazy, um, pro-lifers are not crazy. It's everyone else that's crazy. Uh, but you know you're always worried are there going to be counter-protesters? Are you know random crazy people going to show up? Um, is the governor going to do something ridiculous? So thankfully the Capitol fence came down. Uh, just a few days before we had it, there was a fence up which would have precluded us from having an event on the Capitol steps. Um, you know, we had talked to the Capitol and gotten um, porta potties there, and we do everything the right way. Um, no uh, occupy. When we go when we have events at the Capitol, we book in advance and uh, and do all that. Um, it, there were no the police presence there was very light, although it was very interesting. I was. I went there to work at our Lansing office before, and Lansing was just dead. Yeah. Quiet. I mean, like, 
I've been there in the summer when no one's in session and there's almost no one there. It was that looked like a party compared to how dead it was. As I walked down to go get lunch at my favorite spot that wasn't wasn't open, um, so I got somewhere else. Came back. There were police cars everywhere. People on bikes roving around. Um, we got to an event. There was a couple police on bikes up near the the entrance. Uh, you look around the uh, parking structure. You can see two police officers looking at us through binoculars. They all got kind of bored with us after about a half hour because they were gone. We're pro-lifers. Um, you know, a bunch of college students. Well, I'd say a bunch of college students aren't going to riot. Well. Eh. Um, but a bunch of college students along with small children, middle-aged people and elderly folk, uh, is not the kind of crowd that's going to go crazy. Um, less crazy, we're less crazy than a college football game. True story. Uh, yeah, and, and the speakers were great. You know, some speakers had to back out at the last minute and uh, we had to get some new speakers. We had, uh, a couple great speakers, the, the Ed Rivett, our former legislative director, is the president of Ingham County Right to Life and was kind of the... MC for the event. We had a couple Pranksy Center speakers, uh, someone from Bethany Christian Services, a local pastor, a local pastor, Protect Life Michigan that co-sponsored the event. Um, their director, executive director, spoke, and they brought up a student from one of their high school programs uh, who gave a pretty good speech. Uh, person representing us, it couldn't be our president Barb Listing that day, so someone from our uh, Black Leadership Committee spoke. Um, Challenging messages, uh, you know, messages about how are we supposed to do what we're supposed to do? How do we remember these lives? How are we supposed to convince the culture that they're worth saving? Um, it was great stuff. It was. Is it still up on the Facebook page? Yep. The Facebook event is, uh, the video from the live event still up there. We've uploaded it to YouTube as well. So you can watch the event in full or at least the rally at the Capitol. We also did a little march around the Capitol, um, which was interesting. You know, no blocking of traffic, uh, uh, you know, um, no being accused by the media of blocking ambulances when we weren't. Uh, we didn't wander out onto 96 or 196 there and stop uh, traffic. Um. I'm just saying there was an adorable <laughs> husky walking in the march, so therefore we rock. <laughs> yeah, and we had dogs, yeah, we, so we marked, uh, just marched around the Capitol, and there was a little prayer service afterwards for anyone who wanted to go there. We had coffee, it was, it was a great event. Um, and it's important to note that that wasn't just the only event going on. Of course, we had a bunch of affiliates across the state have their own memorials, motorcades, rallies uh, for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday on the 17th and the Memorial of Roe vs. Wade on January 22nd. If you want to see pictures from some of them, those are on our Facebook page. You can go check them out. Um, some You could tell from some of them is very snowy and very cold, uh, but pro-lifers still showed up, which is wonderful. And uh, I don't know. We'll see what's going to happen next year. Hopefully next year we have a National March for Life. Um, I hope so, too. I want to go. Yeah, we, we were going to send, you know, there are going to be 20 busloads of people going to D.C. that ended up they didn't get to go, and... I know a lot of people worried about attending the Lansing March because of security concerns and the protests and and whatnot. So hopefully next year we are back into our normal mode and we'll just have to see what happens. Whatever comes, we will adjust. Well, to go from a, a nice note to a, a dreadful note, 
Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a story that happened a few years ago. Um, there was a abortionist by the name of Ulrich Klopfer uh, in the Midwest, in Indiana, uh, Chicagoland, etc. area, and he performed a lot of abortions, uh, you know, as any abortionist does, thousands and thousands and thousands of abortionists, uh, abortions. Well, uh, there's a story that just came out, and it was from the brother-in-law of uh, the abortionist, because when the abortionist died, the authorities in his, well, the authorities didn't, his family discovered in his garage, in his various cars that mm -hmm. were located in storage in places, because, you know, abortionists have a lot of money and they buy nice cars. Our Grand Rapids abortionist here has a nice car. Um, a pretty infamous abortionist on the east side of the state had a penchant for racing cars, uh, European racing cars. Um, babies by the thousands. Thousands, about 2,000 plus babies in his garage, um, just in boxes, babies in the uh, trunks of his cars that in were in bags, storage. yeah. And as the article, which we shared on our Facebook page, said, um, the brother-in-law said, you know, it's not that he had a creepy, it's not that he had a creepy fetish or they were trophies, but he was a hoarder and a lazy man. And uh, for whatever reason, he couldn't find a place to dispose of them easily from his abortion facility, the, these thousands of babies. And so he just let them stack up in his garage. Um so I thought the article was really interesting on a couple different levels, Emily. I think, you know, the first level is a lot of these abortionists are really troubled. You look at like Kermit Gosnell, mm -hmm. um, the abortionist, the former abortionist in Muskegon that got shut down, Klopfer, they're hoarders. Um, you know, these aren't doctors who go in, they run clean facilities and they go home to, you know, a nice, well-manicured lawn and house. You know, these are really troubled individuals, and one way that manifests is in hoarding. Um, this can sound kind of rather personal, but have you have any family members that have been hoarders? Distant family members. Distant family it's members. Terrifying. I had a close family member that, that was a hoarder, and um, it's just shocking. But they, they for whatever reason, they, they do that. And in the case of these abortionists, uh, you know. Clawford didn't really have trophies. He was just lazy. But Gosnell kept trophies of the babies he killed. Their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, disgusting. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, Renee Chellian, who owns a string of abortion businesses in Michigan, um, talked about having the same problem where she couldn't get rid of these babies, and she joked about driving a van load of them up north and incinerating them all in a bonfire. Yeah. Um you know, abortion is not just like it's portrayed where you just kind of close your eyes and after some quote-unquote gentle suction, the baby just disappears. There's bodies, and you got to deal with these bodies. And in this case, 2,000-plus human beings ended up in this guy's garage in a literal charnel house with uh, bags with the mother's information on them that anyone could just walk in the garage and see, oh, this woman had this abortion there. You know, they do that. They throw away multiple abortions in, in the state. Just throw, they just throw the babies and, and their mom's medical information in the garbage because they don't care. And no one holds them accountable. And it's gross. I mean, so that's one level of it. I think the other level, it's interesting that um, the 
brother-in-law that was the kind of point of contact for this story was pro-life. Yeah. And he himself had been part of an abortion when he was in, was it high school or college? I can't remember which, but basically he and his girlfriend at the time were kind of shoved into the abortion clinic by everyone around them telling him to go do it, which he had extreme regret. And then turns out he gets married to a sister of one of the most infamous abortionists in the United States and has to interact with this guy. Um, And he said that uh, he was very militant about abortion, uh, which you kind of see that with a lot of abortionists. Um, And it was just creeped out by him because he was a troubled man. And then when he died, you know, you have to take care of all these babies. Um, I thought it was interesting that he said that uh, Klopfer's wife was pro-life or at least a practicing Christian in the story. That she just kind of... Ignored it. Ignored it and looked the other way. I don't know that. I. How can pe- people never cease to shock me? I, I don't know if you want to call that cognitive dissonance or what that is. Um, what happened was you, you know they found the babies. They told the authorities. It leaked to the media. So the uh, the pro life attorney general of Indiana at the time, you know, dealt with it. They tried to, um, you know, identify some of these babies and give them contact the women involved they ended up having to bury a lot of them um you know just a sad story and no you you can't hold the dead man accountable but uh obviously this is a violation of health and safety codes and i'm sure that he's not the only one with a garage full of dead babies in the united states based on how these abortionists operate but you know again pro pro pro-choice politicians like joe biden don't want to hold them accountable and don't think that they need to abide by the same standards that, you know, any other doctor or outpatient clinic should. Um, I guess the last thing about the story that I just wanted to talk about was kind of just along those lines was the uh, brother-in-law said, you know, the media was not interested in him at all before and they weren't interested in this story uh, until it became kind of this gross situation with the hoarding where was the media only when the authorities get involved like now you guys show up and you care about the issue why don't you care about this issue before i think that's a good question yeah i think we know the answer it's because most of them are supportive of abortion and they themselves i think i think it's not just that they don't want you looking too closely at it i think a lot of people who support abortion themselves don't really want to look at square in the eye and they so they can almost pretend that they're not really involved in it you know but when you cover for abortion industry the abortion industry and abortion businesses this is what you are supporting you know they and we only care about these children because they're dead in someone's garage now but we didn't care about them at all before they were uh, before they were born um, only yeah. when they become a sanitation problem and not a human rights problem so that's the abortion industry, and I think next week uh, for our episode, we're going to look at it from the other end. You know, we have all these creepy abortionists and 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 all that they're doing. I think we need to look at, you know, why why are they enabled? Why, where do they get their money from? How does that work? I think for our feature next week, we're going to look at uh, specifically, you know, why do these big billionaires 
so obsessed with population control, which inevitably leads to these kind of horrible things like forced sterilization programs or uh, creepy abortionists. So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we're done here for today. Enjoy the winter weather. Go sledding. Uh, go Buccaneers. If you're going to watch oh, the, the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Uh, who are they playing? The Chiefs. Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Okay. Uh -oh. I'm not a Brady fan. All right. So on that note, have a nice weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.